tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Let's begin today's show with some apparently irrelevant hippo facts that will come into play later in the episode. Number one, did you know hippos cannot swim and they cannot float? What? It's true. So when whenever you see a hippo emerge from the murky waters in like a, an adventure type movie, they're literally just walking on the on the bottom of the uh, body of water? It's true. They walk or stand on surfaces below the water like sandbanks. Ben, that's fascinating information. <laughs> Thanks, Noel. They're also called land cows. Did you see that? That that's was true. one of my favorite things. And they're also straight seahorse teeth. They baby. are. They are the straight seahorse teeth, uh, much like our super producer, Casey Pegram. Casey has the straightest teeth of anyone in this crew. The most seahorse of teeth. Big time. <laughs> so today uh, we've got we've to set out maybe a couple of disclaimers. Uh, first off, this one's on me. I just got back into town. My body has no idea what time it is. Are your arms tired? Or what day it is. Uh, my left arm's a little loopy, yeah. But overall, I might be a bit punchy in today's episode, and I might say some things that are largely irrelevant. That's okay. Thanks, Wait, how, is, how is that any different than usual? <laughs> yeah, I mean, on either side. That's, no, right? that's, that's totally what I meant. <laughs> that's totally what I meant. It's, it's, it's true. Well, maybe it will be for the good of the show, hopefully. But we have it a, usually is. So far, let's hope the streak continues. Uh, we also have a second disclaimer about today's episode. Big one. Massive disclaimer. Not even a disclaimer, more a pre-recommendation. Yeah. Uh, our colleagues, Holly Fry and Tracy V. Wilson, who you know from Stuff You Missed in History Class fame, um, have covered this very topic in a quite meaty two-parter. So um, <laughs> stop what you're doing right now and listen to theirs. 
This is a throwaway episode that we're about to do for you. Well, maybe maybe listen to ours first so we don't have to follow that act. That's fair. <laughs> Let's consider ours like the Cliff's Notes version and theirs like the Encyclopedia Britannica version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The primer, I think we called it off That's air, right. right. Or if you're British, primer. Primer, mm-hmm. yes. So <laughs> this, this is a crazy story. One of our first episodes on Ridiculous History was also hippocentric. It was. Wasn't it the first episode? It may have been the first episode. The Wild Hippos of Pablo Escobar? Mm-hmm. Which is a— <laughs> Which I think is a fascinating story, and I did check, and those hippos are still running rampant. Amok, 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 amok. Mm-hmm. Yes, wreaking watery havoc uh, wherever they can walk or stand in a watery surface because, again, they neither swim nor float. How did you happen upon this this little tidbit about the uh, watery nature of hippos? I read a lot about hippos on the plane. It really? Was, yeah, because I, I, I was too cheap to pay for the Wi-Fi, and I had downloaded some articles beforehand. And that's a long flight. You didn't pop. <laughs> (laughs) for the Wi-Fi? I I eventually did not because uh, the flight went by the North Pole, Uh at which point even if you pay for Wi-Fi, there's no service. Did you see the pole, that barber pole that marks the spot? I did not yet. I did not. So that's going to be for the next trip if you want to go. Have you revealed where you you were traveling to? Did we mention it? I think we mentioned it on previous episodes. It's possible. Let's just double down. It was was Korea, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Traveled to Korea for a week on my continuing quest to enter not just the DMZ, but what's called the Joint Protection Area, which is the blue building where you can walk across into North Korea. That was, and have you seen Conan Without Borders, the travel, the Conan O'Brien I've travel show? That, yeah. He goes into that room and there's like guards and they're all wearing like sunglasses mm-hmm. inside. And there's one side of this room where you're in North Korea, one side you're in South Korea. Yep. And him and Steven Yeun from The Walking Dead do mm-hmm. a funny little bit where they like broadcast the weather from each side of the room. <laughs> and surprise, surprise, it's the same weather, you know. It's, it's surprisingly, t- well, not surprisingly, it's tricky to get, into that area, uh, and they, any number of people or institutions can cancel it day of. So I didn't make it this time, but I had a wonderful time, wonderful trip nonetheless, and will probably be returning until I can finally get into that building. In the meantime, let's take some advantage of those uh, that that hippo research time you had yes. on that on that plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, what are we talking about? Today? Let's do it. Uh, today we are talking about not just hippos or land cows, but a enormously influential role they almost played in American history and uh, the American meat industry. Cool oh boy, that's a whole thing unto itself. And it was a thing unto itself at this point because there just wasn't enough meat. It was the earliest of the 1900s, 1901. And the United States was in, in the throes of a meat shortage. Uh, and, you know, I see that and I immediately am like, well, why didn't people just start eating more vegetables? Right, right. Why don't we pursue a Michael Pollan-esque omnivore's dilemma approach, right? Which is funny because that actually does kind of figure into this yes. a little later. But mm-hmm. for now, let's set the scene. Yes. Yeah, so the dawn of hippopotamus ranching, as we would later come to call it, really peaks in 1910. It starts in the early 1900s. It hits the point of, hey, it's a great idea to practice hippopotamus ranching, really hits its its peak in 1910. There was, as you said, Noel, um, an alarming shortage of meat. This is a result of several factors. These were peak years of immigration, and cities were exploding in terms of population, 
And although the meat industry itself was growing by significant leaps and bounds, it was not growing fast enough to keep up with all the new hungry people traveling to the U.S. and being born here. So consequently, beef prices were through the roof. Mm -hmm. That beef bill was just astronomical. I know. It was putting people out of house and home just to, just to keep their families beefed up, I guess. But it, like I said, though, there I don't see any mention of seeking alternative. I mean, like, there, there's even talk of, like, eating dogs. Like, mm -hmm. it was that bad. People just needed their meat. And I'm like, was it, a, was it a taste thing, literally? Was it like, we just really love the taste of meat over vegetables? Like, you'd think there would be more, like, urban farming or something would have sprung mm -hmm. up to kind of fill that gap. But mm -hmm. they, it, was, it was such a big deal. It was dubbed the meat question. Yes, it was dubbed the meat question. Part of it ties into the availability of pasture, right, of land for these animals to graze upon. That's right, because meat was, al was already so popular that, you know, like we tend to do, or we don't think ahead as a country, uh, pastures had become overgrazed. Because, mm -hmm. you know, to have beef cattle, they have to graze and feed on grass in pastures. What happens when they're overgrazed? Right. They, there's nowhere for the cattle to eat, and so there's no opportunity to grow them into, you know, delicious hamburgers and ribs. We do have to bracket that idea of uh, vegetarianism just for a moment, but we will get back to it, I we believe. Will. We will. So into this fray, uh, into the, the midst of the meat question come two very fascinating guys. Super cool. Yeah, one named Frederick Russell Burnham and one named... We might need a Casey assist on this one. Casey, we've got a gentleman by the name of Fritz, D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. I'm picturing it as a sort of Dufresne, like Andy Dufresne from the Shawshank Redemption. Duquesne, 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 something like that, yeah. Casey on the case. Casey on the case, and it's funny because it's, it's interesting to me how sometimes in French you actually do pronounce those seemingly silent letters. Like one version of that, Casey was saying the S a little bit. Well, mm -hmm. the yes, names especially have lots of weird exceptions, and sometimes you literally just have to check. There's not like a hard and fast rule that you can always be assured is going to work. So Double Casey on the case. <laughs> It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B &B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. 
Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. So we have these guys, Frederick and Fritz. Let's let's examine the life of Frederick Russell Burnham first. This guy is quoted uh, by some sources as being the uh, man with the most complete life ever lived. You'll hear him referred to as the inspiration for Indiana Jones. Uh, You'll hear that the Boy Scouts were created to mold young men into a more Frederick Russell Burnham-esque shape, morally speaking. Yeah, the name alone just uh, inspires me. Frederick Russell Burnham. It just sounds like a real magic man, a real raconteur, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he was uh, an outdoorsman. I guess you could say the early form of something like a naturalist, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he would be described as emphatically a man's man, able, active, alert. Uh, he gave people an impression of force and self-control. In 1910, Burnham was 49 years old, and in September 19th of that year, he visited the Maryland Hotel in Pasadena, California. What happened then, Ben? <laughs> I'm so, I'm so, I'm so glad you asked. He was there to address what was known as the Humane Association of California at their annual convention. This group was dedicated to the prevention of cruelty to animals. They had quickly become one of California's most powerful civic organizations. And Burnham, later on in his life now, you know, he's middle-aged, he is part of an eccentric brain trust that was trying to launch their own innovative animal project off the ground. They wanted to answer the meat question, and they thought that the civic-minded people, the philanthropists of the Humane Association of California, would be really good folks to have on their side. Burnham was doing this with a very calculated air. It's proven that privately he made fun of these sorts of organizations. Like, oh, sure. In his off time. He, he, he had no time for that kind of flim-flammery, that kind of pomp and circumstance. He wanted to be out there in the wild, mm-hmm. communing with nature, not behind a podium in front of a bunch of stuff shirts yeah. delivering a speech. And he thought their priorities were off. You know what of I course. mean? Uh, so he wanted to get their support nonetheless for his idea. And it was an idea that was already circulating through the halls of D.C. in the form of a bill 
introduced by a Louisiana congressman named Robert Broussard. The pitch was this. We don't have enough room for beef. We're not, we're not growing enough cattle. But we got all these swamps, and we don't quite know what to do with them. They're just kind of mucky and gross, and nothing really grows there that we can use. Um, there's also these, like, invasive plants mm-hmm. that are really mucking up the ecosystem. Uh, what if— What What if, if, mind you, there was some sort of creature that couldn't really swim or float but could exist just fine in some shallow water like that and would graze on these invasive plants, which you might be able to drop the name of, Ben? The water hyacinth. Ah, yes, the pesky water hyacinth. So, wait, you mean there is such a creature? Yes, yes. Uh, Picture this like a a made-for-TV ad where Billy Mays says, but wait, there's more. So— There is such a creature, it turns out, a creature from the continent of Africa, the creature known as the hippopotamus. The hippopotamus, which is gigantic, is um, native to similar ecosystems, Mm -hmm. you know, shallow, watery depths, right? Wetlands, marshy areas. Vegetation. And so they said, close enough for government work, why don't we— Why don't we walk with us here? Why don't we take some hippos, a breeding population of hippos, from their native environment and bring them to Louisiana to fight the invasive water hyacinth, also turning this marshland into something productive, and then we'll eat hippos because they're delicious, as it turns out. We, we, maybe. They might be. <laughs> that's the, I mean, that's the, pitch. That's and, the and, pitch. And it seems way less gross than eating dogs, which we were totally considering doing. We were considering, as a nation, eating a lot of animals. A lot of animals because we just had to have that sweet, sweet meat. We're like antelopes. Uh, what else? Ostriches. It's what we kind of collectively refer to as bush meat, kind of, right? <laughs> right. It's like the stuff that we wouldn't really mess with. Um but it's funny, obviously, they have not heard our podcast about uh, the hippos, the wild hippos of Pablo Escobar, because then they would know uh, that hippos can be an invasive species in and of themselves. Yes, <laughs> Very yes. much so. But uh, none of this really came to pass, ultimately, so they didn't get a chance to realize what a can of worms they were opening up by doing this. But there's more. There's another Fritz. Let's talk about our boy Fritz. Where let's, does he play into this? Yeah, let's talk about Fritz. So Fritz is a boar, and boars are the descendants of Dutch settlers, colonizers in Africa. This guy is super sketchy. Mm-hmm. He uh, he lives life, uh, according to John Moolam, this guy, quote, moves through life using a variety of aliases. Uh, he was a con man, and you know how we love con artists here on Ridiculous History. Uh, he fought against the British in the Second Boer War, and Similar to Burnham, he had spent some time as a, kind of a freelance spy. Burnham hated Fritz and once called him the human epitome of sin and deception. Whereas Burnham had been described as the most complete human being who ever lived. So couldn't be more different, these two. And they ended up being quite the odd couple, didn't they? Yes, yeah, because 
their interests aligned. <laughs> right, their interests aligned. But previously, on a, on a previous episode of Fritz and Frederick, uh, they had been specifically tasked to murder one another. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't find any more about that. I saw that detail in the interview with this uh, with this Wired writer uh, Mulam. But what 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 happened with that? I, I I need to know more. It sounded like they were maybe on the opposite sides of some sort of conflict. It's true. During the Second Boer War. Fritz was under orders to specifically assassinate Frederick Burnham. And he was under, Burnham, I mean, was under a similar set of orders. It did not come to pass. Yeah, and then apparently they were able to let bygones be bygones or, you know, death orders be something that's nicer than death orders. I don't know. Yeah, after the Boer War, Burnham remained active in counter-espionage for Britain and apparently, a lot of his job in this post-war environment was just keeping an eye on Fritz, just specifically watching his activities and, and seeing what he was about. So when we fast forward to 1910, uh, when Burnham and this previously mentioned congressman, Robert Broussard, are trying to popularize the idea of hippos as livestock, uh, Burnham and Broussard found something called the New Food Supply Society. The idea being that they'll import what they see as useful African wildlife into the U.S. to solve the meat question. And Broussard needs some experts. And so he says, who would be a good expert yeah. on African wildlife? These two men's men <laughs> that have spent a lot of time in Africa. And, uh, you know, the whole rivalry thing aside, maybe they can figure out a way to get along and, and uh, work towards a common goal. Ooh. And they ultimately kind of did. They formed essentially like a lobbying group kind of, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they formed a lobbying group uh, with the New Food Supply Society. They were – pushing something called the American Hippo Bill. And the American Hippo Bill was asking Uncle Sam for 250 grand to import hippos into the bios as a new food source and then to control the other pre-existing invasive species, the water hyacinth. So just to emphasize and highlight the logic here, they said, let's introduce another invasive species to solve our original invasive species problem. This is similar in some ways uh, to that scene in Fantasia, which I know I reference ad nauseum, uh, wherein the wizard Mickey Mouse animates one mop and then quickly gets over his head. Yeah, and then all the mops start going insane mm -hmm. and uh, kind of mutate into some sort of violent, uh, you know, mob. And this, despite this uh, lack of knowledge of Disney films, on the part of Uncle Sam at this time. And despite the, just the weird unorthodox nature of the proposal, people are largely behind it. Even former President Theodore Roosevelt backs the plan. Well, he was a man's man himself, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, he was. And the New York Times uh, writes an article praising the taste of hippopotamus meat. And I, I can't remember, did I say land cow? In the beginning? Yeah, you did. Okay, it's lake cow. Lake cow. Yeah, a land, land cow, land is, just cow, cow. is just a cow. It's just a cow. That's just yeah. a cow. But these are lake cows, and the New York Times uh, wanted to call this stuff lake cow bacon. Uh, so Fritz provides expert testimony about hippos as livestock to the House Committee on Agriculture, and the bill is in action for a second. It looks like it has a real chance of passing. And then what? It just fizzles? Doesn't get the, the, nothing like catastrophic happened. 
Like, I, it just kind of seems like it just the, the whole idea. I know what it was. It was sort of on the edge of uh, being able to engineer some of those farmland, those, uh, you know, overgrazed pastures into new environments. Yeah, that's it exactly. This plan would have come to pass had not other um, other technological innovations industrial come agriculture come into play. Yeah, 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 yeah it's yeah, the totally. advent of industrial mm-hmm. agriculture. And so now we're in a situation where we say, hey, we I guess we don't need to import uh, a huge population of hippos and try to fundamentally reboot our livestock system. Now we can just take what we were already doing to a new level of scale. That's right. And this guy, uh, this writer, John Mulham, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Please forgive me if I'm not. Um, He makes a point in an interview uh, with Wired that it was almost like starting to resemble the kind of like local, you know, locally bred and slaughtered kind of like things that foodie scenes are so big on, you know, Mm -hmm. nowadays. They were talking about importing ostriches and having ostrich farms and any other kind of like uh, animals like they could get their hands on, like antelopes and anything was really on the table. And it was this idea of having an incredibly local, locally sourced food system. Even though they were imported, they would be kind of bred naturally locally and then slaughtered locally and everything as opposed to having everything like imported yeah kind of a farm to table that's the one i was looking for right yes sir mm-hmm. when the taliban banned music in afghanistan millions were plunged into silence radios were smashed cassettes burned you could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules and yet afghans did it anyway This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. 
It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's weird when you consider this because we're at a a pivotal point in history, and it's it's incredibly tempting to speculate uh, how things would be in the modern restaurants of 2019 had this plan and similar propositions succeeded, you know? Would we be in a situation where food is uh, more regional or livestock is more regional? Would we be in a situation where someone says, well, you have to go to Nebraska to get a good hamburger. That's right. Because that's where we have cows. Yeah. No, that's that's certainly an absurd thought, you know, considering the way things are done these days. It seems like it now, right? It seems like it now. And you know, one of the things that uh, mystifies a, a lot of my friends who visit the U.S. from out of the country is just the ubiquitous nature of food. You can you can get anything anywhere. Well, and if you think about, like, in Japan, for example, like, proper Wagyu beef, isn't that very regional? Like, that, like, to actually get it that where it's actually the real deal, because it's obviously it's one of those things that can be thrown around, like you even see it on the menu at like Chili's or something, why do <laughs> beef sliders or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. It's true. And this is where we see Michael Pollan returning, uh, because Michael Pollan, uh, who writes quite extensively about the problem of agriculture, the problem of industrial agriculture, uh, he would argue that ultimately it is better and more sustainable for us to pursue as a species these sorts of regional models of foodways. You know what I mean? He would say that uh, had the hippo industry (laughs) taken off, it would have been ultimately better for the planet. You know, Uh, that is not where we are now. Now we are in a reality where uh, we could, uh, the three of us, and, and you listening, uh, we could all travel in different directions in the lower 48 states for sure and then pretty much order the same thing. Yeah. We could find the same thing anywhere. Yeah, I mean, you know, there was a time where the idea of getting seafood in a landlocked part of the country would have been insane, mm-hmm. you know, but not not so much anymore with like refrigeration technology. Here in Atlanta especially because we are near such a huge shipping hub with the, the airport, mm-hmm. Um uh, there's constantly flux and things coming through, you know. Yeah, you can get genuine Wagyu beef here. That's probably true. I'm sure it is. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it is. Um, I really recommend uh, there is behind a paywall, but um, that this writer, John Mulham, wrote a piece uh, for the Atavist website called American Hippopotamus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I read it, some excerpts from it, and it's, it's very, very good writing. He goes into the backgrounds of these two very fascinating men in a very deep dive way and talks through this whole uh 
problem and situation and what ultimately came of it. It is also the source of, or it's the first time I found this quote. Uh, it's my, it's the source of my favorite uh, quotation about Fritz Duquesne. He was described as not only the human epitome of sin and deception, but get this, Noel, a walking, living, breathing, searing, killing, destroying torch of hate. Whoa. <laughs> I don't think that made it into the congressional record. I don't think so either, but <laughs> it made it into the podcast record. And I think there's not much of a better way to wrap this up than with that, my friend. That's true. That's true. Uh, this ends our tale of the would-be hippopotamus livestock empire uh, that never quite came to pass and now is currently relegated to the hall of good but ultimately unsuccessful ideas such as giraffe ranches and ostrich farms. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, let us know what we... Ah, oh, no. It's time, uh, gentlemen. <laughs> I've been here the whole time. <laughs> Jonathan Strickland, <laughs> a.k.a. The Quister, it is true. You have been here the entire time. The fact that you wouldn't acknowledge my existence for half an hour really hurts. I'm sorry, man. If you heard any weird labored evil breathing, that was Strickland on the mic. A couple of times, he rolled his eyes so hard that I'm pretty sure it translated to audio. Listen, Ben, listen. Listen, Ben. I'm listening. Listen, I'm, I'm listen. here. You're talking about my boy, Fritz, and you're casting aspersions left and right. I can't let this just go by, Ben. Fritz is my boy. He is something of a super villain. In Fritz, a, uh, let me tell you, you have not scratched the surface no. of Fritz. Fritz was an insurance scam walking down the streets. He was in the movie business. He worked for RKO Pictures. He actually was arrested for insurance fraud. Oh, he sounds like he needs his own episode. He does. Oh, he's amazing. And guess what? We're going to test your knowledge about Fritz Duquesne right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't understand what's happening, I don't blame you. I don't understand it myself. And I don't even have the excuse of an international flight like Mr. Bolin. No, what we are going to do is I'm going to pose a scenario to these two gentlemen. They will have three minutes to discuss the scenario between the two of them, and they may ask questions of me during those three minutes to determine whether the scenario is in fact historical or if I made it upsies. And so uh, this time, as always, I have to come up with an arbitrary rule for you to say or do before you ask a question. This time, because uh, one of the many things Fritz Dukan was known for was during both world wars, he was a spy for the German government. So before you ask any questions, you will have to preface it with Achtung, baby. <laughs> oh, I like that. Mm. One of the underappreciated uh, U2 records. Really, I, that's why I was kind of, I was like, well, it's both thematic and we can bring some attention <laughs> I think, to I think it is. I think that's sort of considered mm. a, one of their lesser works. I would, yeah, Bono's I, really I, broken up yeah, about that. Yeah, so anyway... I will give you your scenario, and then we will start the enormous grandfather clock for its three minutes. Yep, I'm, I'm stretching now. I've yeah. got to run all the way across this gigantic shipping container. One of those 12-hour flights and economy is going to do that to you. All right, here we go. <laughs> Here's your scenario. Fritz Dukan, as you mentioned, was one of the experts consulted for the Happy Pottis plan for Louisiana. That's what I 
used to call hippopotamuses when I was a little tyke. <laughs> That's adorable. adorable. Uh, I, that Disney thought so too. But Duquesne was hardly a reliable resource. He was a con man. He was a self-promoter. He was a big game hunter. He actually went on big game hunts with Teddy Roosevelt. And a spy for the Germans with a real grudge against Britain. He had two main rivals in his career. One, you've already mentioned, the fellow hippo advocate, Frederick Russell Burnham, whom I trust you remember from literally moments ago. (laughs) But his other rival, which had a very similar story in some ways, was an English spy named Vernon Hall. Hall had uh, never crossed paths with Duquesne, which is fortunate because like Burnham, Duquesne and Hall were pledged to kill one another. They each had orders to kill each other. They were very similar in a lot of ways, except for one major one. Duquesne was a spy, but loved attention and would bring attention on himself all the time, even posing as a supposed British soldier with the Australian Light Cavalry at one point. But Hall was a master of blending in and not being noticed, which is particularly fascinating considering the fact that he had a wooden leg. Start the timer! Oh, okay, okay, I'm running, I'm running. Go! Okay. Are you okay, Ben? I'm. You really took a running leap at that wall. <laughs> I'm a little winded. You look a little flattened. <laughs> I, 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 you know what? I'll be good for the uh, three minutes it, it takes us to figure this out. Um, Octung, baby. Yes, Mr. Bolin. So, are you saying that Vern? Wait, are you saying Fritz had a wooden leg? No. You're I'm saying, saying Vernon Hall had the wooden leg. Vernon Hall Fritz, had a wooden Fritz leg. Fritz loved attention. Vernon Hall was the opposite. Yeah, he loved his. Prosthetics. Okay. Achtung, baby. Yes. Give me like the log line version of the entire question. <laughs> All right. Was Fritz Duquesne arch nemesis with not just one, but two other spies, the second being Vernon Hall, an English spy, active, by the way, during World War II? In addition to our other player in our in today's story. Bur- Burnham being yes, the yes, other yes, one. Yes, 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 yes. From the Boer War. So that was much, much, much earlier. So they were, he was kind of an assassin. Mm, yeah, he had been ta- he he had been tasked to assassinate more than one person. Okay, so then it, it's it does seem likely that he, I mean, they he, they weren't necessarily mortal enemies because they had beef with each other. They were mortal enemies because they were assigned by someone higher than them than their pay grade to do harm to one another. At least initially, initially. Yeah, yeah. So that being the case, it does seem likely that. That would happen more than once, or at least prob- possible. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. You know what? I, I'm gonna ask. I, I think I've made up my mind. I've I've cast my lot, but I'm gonna ask another question just because I, I like the bit we're doing. Yeah, I do too. I like saying it. it's it's got a good mouthfeel. Octong, baby. Yes, Mr. Bolin. I just wanted to say it. Mm, that's fair. Okay. <laughs> you thinking true? I'm thinking true, man. Oh gosh, we've been on such a good streak. I know. I hate to squander it, but I'm thinking true too. All right. Are we going to lock it in? Let's do it. All right. Three, two, one. True. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> oh, Mr. Bolin. Mr. Bolin, you are going to kick yourself so very hard. First of all, Fritz Duquesne was. He can in do fact, it too. He's quite flexible. He, he was, in fact, a spy during both world wars, World War One and World War II, on behalf of the Germans. Uh-huh. He did have a very strong anti-British sentiment deep in his soul. Uh, he had been 
put into prison and broke out numerous times, although he was eventually caught and tried and eventually died in uh, shortly after being released because his health had gotten so poor while he was in prison for 14 years. But there was no Vernon Hall. There was, however, a spy with a wooden leg named Virginia Hall. Virginia Hall was an American spy, Mr. Boland. Now that's Virginia just, that's Hall dirty pool. <laughs> not only had a wooden leg and not only was a spy, worked on behalf of the French resistance, was, a, was an American spy working in France. There's an entire building at the CIA named after her. Why do Mr. you keep Bowen? saying my last name yeah. this way? I was, I, was a part of, I was a part of this too. <laughs> Someone, Jeez, Louise. Because Mr. Bolin in particular should know more oh, about the CIA. That's, hey now, hey now. No, no doxing here. Come <laughs> oh, on. Oh, wow. That's, that's, oh. That's, that's, that's Ben's story to tell. Oh, that is Ben's story to tell. Guys. Now listen, I, I call Dirty Pool because you literally just flipped the gender. <laughs> no, no. I also said he was an English spy, not an American spy. Yeah. But the, I didn't give you any details about about what he did as his spy work in World War II. Okay, but my into our intuition of the <laughs> truthishness of the story still held true. Well, this just warns you that you can't necessarily believe anything about Fritz Duquesne. I okay, that's that's well written. Yeah, that'd that's be the well biggest good takeaway. Yeah. But uh, I, I feel like it also means we can't necessarily believe anything you say. That's kind of the point that of the is segment. Kind of the point. That's very I mean, true. But I feel like I'm going to carry this off air with us. But but here's here's what I, I charge you both. I charge you mm. both. To you should do two companion episodes, mm. one specifically about Burnham and the legendary exploits of Burnham, and one specifically of Duquesne and the legendary, some obviously fictional exploits. He really did pose as a British soldier who had led an Australian light cavalry. He had created an entire mythology M mythology yeah. including being bayoneted three times and gassed four times to I what mean, to what end this was his cover story like because or, he liked the attention he just wanted he's got that he, wow. he liked dressing up in the cavalry uniform and having photographs taken of him there I, are famous photographs of him in that in that outfit and, Man, to, I and mean, to be caught would be a death sentence right? yes. so he was just totally rolling the dice oh, yes. for fun no, he just he just loved he relished the attention but we've all been there mm. you know what i mean like it's it, true super villainy you get off uh, work on a friday next thing you know it's sunday you're in a different country and you're dressed like a member of their military mm. stuff just happens yeah so we know what happened in korea all right hey speaking of segways uh <laughs> jonathan strickland aka the, the quizster it looks like you've won the battle, but not the war. I'm winning the war too, but the, go okay. ahead. Come on, man. <laughs> and uh, and it just occurred to me, Noel, this is the first time in 2019 that we have had our friend slash nemesis on the show. I really like this one. Uh, usually this is the time where I kind of low-key snark at the quizster <laughs> here, but no, that was very well played, sir. Yeah, and, very uh, well. And he literally gave us two new episode topics. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, I do need to point something out real quick. I Please. recently discovered something. Yeah. I'm a big fan, as I think we all are, of Scott Ackerman and Comedy Bang Bang. Um, the television show Comedy Bang Bang, there's an episode wherein Tom Green plays a character called the Quizzler. And it's par it's utter parallel thinking, very similar arch villain type character to you, uh, the Quizster, Jonathan Strickland. I just want to point out that this was not lifted. This was just simply 
parallel thinking. And I right. saw it with my buddy, and he was like, wait a minute. <laughs> we just we just know that brilliance sometimes comes in pairs. You know, like like calculus. Exactly, exactly. I just wanted to put that out there real quick, lest anyone accuse us of uh, – of ripping off this segment. Quister is also a better name. I agree. Objectively, mm. that mm-hmm. T in the yeah, middle really throws it off. It's got a good mouthfeel. <laughs> so, so just like Achtung, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like Achtung, baby. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Quister. We will get you next time as I'm shaking my fist at the air. Uh, we do also have to, we, we have to bring up one thing. I don't want to make the show too long. Yeah, yeah. But off air, Jonathan, mm-hmm. you learned second or perhaps third hand about this show's um, checkered past with the musician Cheryl Crow. Uh, yes, I something about limericks that popped up, and I don't fully understand what's happening. I don't remember the limerick side. Yeah, and that popped up on the on the on the, the group. The group. Yeah, the, she, the ridiculous historians yeah. on so, Facebook. So what's with the Cheryl Crow thing? She is our now. You're you're our nemesis. I, I'm your branded nemesis yeah. as assigned by contractually by, obligated yeah, nemesis. It, every yeah. podcast has one. It's, it's just like, I'm the only one who's allowed on mic. Yeah, it's like a Burnham Duquesne thing. Mm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like there's rivalry, but we respect each other mm-hmm. and. Mm. This is not the case with the uh, popular musician uh, Cheryl Crow, who we discovered is our primary critic online and off. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cheryl Crow criticized yeah. you. Yeah, I mean, no, no, no press is bad press, I guess. But geez, she has got some harsh barbs it's for kind your of boys. Personal, you know? really? Yeah. And uh, you know, we're we're glad uh, we're glad that she is. Uh, around because it turns out that most of our subscription numbers do come from uh, Cheryl Crow. Well, you know, every day is a winding road, my friend. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, yeah. so what you're saying is winding road. next concert tour, we should just be out in the parking lot selling Ridiculous History t-shirts. That's right. All yeah. right. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. We just wanted to be transparent with you because we know that you are such an ardent fan of Cheryl Crow. Well, dude, now I'm growing more so every day. Oh, wow. You guys should league up, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> have, our, have our own Injustice League. Excellent. I like it. Well, while you're waiting for that uh, hellish combination to uh, coalesce, you can <laughs> send us an email at ridiculous at howstuffworks.com if you would like to send us any musings, any thoughts about this or any other episode, suggestions. We love that. You can hit us up on our Facebook group, The Ridiculous Historians. Yes, and you can also find our off-air uh, personal adventures at our Instagrams. I am at Ben Bolin. I am at Embryonic Insider. And uh, you, do you have any socials you'd like? to pitch yeah plug at john strickland i post cute pictures of my dog tybalt yes very cute dog there's no h in the john there that's right uh so you can also find more of jonathan working under his uh clark kent alter ego at his show tech stuff where you how would you describe tech stuff? i'd say that tech stuff i gotta drop the whole quister thing here tech stuff is <laughs> tech, tech stuff is just about it's about technology and about culture and about how those two things intersect. So some episodes are a little more technology focused where we talk about how a technology actually works. Sometimes we're talking about how a technology has shaped our lives Mm -hmm. and how we in turn have shaped the evolution of that technology. So uh, if you're interested in anything from an iPhone to a catapult, I've covered it on Tech Stuff. 
It's true. That's true. This show's been uh, a decade in the Yeah, in there's the more than running. a thousand episodes. So, so get started now for uh, for your next podcast binge opportunity. Tune into Tech Stuff. Uh, we'd also like to thank, of course, our super producer, Casey Pegram, uh, and Alex Williams, who composed our track. And we'd also like to thank Gabe, our amazing research associate. And, of course, we'd like to thank you, the, the listening public. Wow. That's a very clinical way of referring to our friends out there in <laughs> podcast land. I'll never do that again. But seriously, the show wouldn't be anything without you. And if you want to hang out with your fellow listeners, check out that group we mentioned earlier, The Ridiculous Historians, on Facebook. I'm not looking forward to checking out our score with the Quister right now. There's a score? Is there a, someone doing a spreadsheet? I, I don't know if there's a spreadsheet, but every everyone knows we're a couple behind. That's fair. I think we I think we evened it up last time and now we're behind again. We got close. We did get close. I think you were I think you were one behind. So okay, yeah, because of course you're keeping count. That, no. Imagine that. <laughs> All right, that's the show. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs> When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.